If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. Well, we're continuing today our sermon series on the kingdom. Um, And uh, who, who knows what today is, by the way? I mentioned it earlier. Yes. Pentecost Sunday. Yes, uh, the the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so um, uh, I want to review last week's message. Let's go ahead and put that up there, Charlie. Last week we spoke on kingdom identity. We asked the question, where does our kingdom identity come from? We said in the very first message that our primary identity shouldn't be our political party, our uh, work that we do, our skin color, our nationality, our language. It should be as a member of God's kingdom. And so where does our kingdom identity come from? It comes from the fact that we are, have been chosen by the Father. Isn't that awesome? To know that he chose us in him. And so secondly, it comes from being redeemed by the Son. We can never uh, celebrate the price that Christ paid for us enough. Amen. When he went to the cross to redeem us. And thirdly, uh, our kingdom identity comes from being sealed by the Spirit of God. uh, To mark the fact that we are his and to give us a foretaste of something uh, that's coming. Amen. So that's what we talked about last week. Uh, Today I want to... uh, have us read from Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're beginning with the first verse. And there's reference here to Theophilus. Uh, of course, Acts was written by uh, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And uh, the book of Acts is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. And it was written to this individual, Theophilus. And so we read here in Acts 1 beginning with verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command... Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I want to draw particular attention uh, to that phrase in verse 8. You will be my witnesses. The title of my message today is Kingdom Mandate. Kingdom mandate. We know that a mandate is an assignment or a command, a decree. And uh, when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, you'll notice he didn't say, I would like it if you were my witnesses. 
I would prefer it if you will be my witnesses. He didn't say, would you please be my witnesses, did he? He said, you will be my witnesses. That sounds like a mandate to me, doesn't it to you? So we're talking about a kingdom mandate. In 1983, a 50-year-old tradition was quietly dropped by the U.S. House of Representatives. The tradition involved the annual reading of George Washington's farewell address on the occasion of his birthday. Democratic and Republican leaders decided it was useless to continue to read the lengthy address to a mostly empty chamber. It's too bad, said one uh, uh, congressional aide, but it's time for this to be consigned to the dustbin. Stated the Cal Calgary Herald, in past years it was almost holy writ that the address must be read. Through war and storm for half a century, a member of each chamber has been chosen to read the address. Newspaper headline said this, nobody listens to Washington's farewell address. And so that tradition was dropped. Well, uh, I believe that uh, this passage that we've read uh, this morning, if you read just a few verses further, you'll see that Jesus, after this, ascended to the Father. You could call this Jesus' farewell address on the earth. And unlike uh, what Congress did to Washington's farewell address, we can't toss Jesus' farewell words aside, can we? I believe that, uh, of course, every word spoken by Jesus is valuable to us. We know that. But I believe this morning we need to particularly pay attention to the last message that Jesus left with his disciples before he ascended to the Father. In these, his final thoughts with his chosen disciples, Jesus issued a mandate to them. He said they would be his witnesses. Think about this. He entrusted the great work that he, the Son of God, had begun to mere human beings. And the kingdom mandate that was entrusted to those original disciples has been passed down among believers from generation to generation until it has become our mandate today. I believe that with all of my heart. And just as these original disciples took seriously the mandate, the kingdom mandate that the Lord had given to them, we need to take it seriously as well. So for the next few minutes this morning, I want to answer the question, what do we need to understand about the divine mandate, the kingdom mandate, in order to fulfill it? What do we need to understand about the kingdom mandate in order to fulfill it. The first thing we need to understand is this, is that this mandate stands upon a divine promise. It stands upon a divine promise. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus said to them, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days he will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He told them, don't leave Jerusalem. Of course, they had, they had been gathered there, and he told them, don't leave, but wait for the gift my father promised. Jerusalem, of course, was the center of religious and political life for all Jews. It was here that the Feast of Pentecost, which celebrated the first fruits of the spring grain harvest in Israel, would shortly be observed. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room on the day of Pentecost which we read about in the next chapter, chapter 2, that outpouring would have had little effect 
if only a few had remained in Jerusalem. That makes sense, doesn't it? So Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. This outpouring was promised in the Old Testament. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, uh, the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Also, Jesus spoke about it in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Uh, he said, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. How many know that God keeps his promises? Every one of them. I'm not talking 99%. I'm not talking 99.99999%. He keeps 100% of his promises. Aren't you thankful for that? And so he promised that he would pour out a gift to them. In the Old Testament, of course, we read that the Holy Spirit would come upon individuals for certain tasks that God would have them to do. And the Spirit of God would come on them and they would move in power to do the Lord's work. But in the New Testament, uh, God had promised that the Spirit would be poured out and he would fill uh, his people, that he would reside within them and fill them to overflowing. And that's what God had promised. Now, the word baptism uh, is a word from the Greek word baptizo. It means to immerse or submerge. In baptism, uh, the person is identified with the element into which he or she is immersed. And so we have water baptism, in which water baptism, of course, symbolizes the, the washing uh, by the Holy Spirit uh, of, our, of our souls when we come to Christ. Uh, and have been cleansed from sin. And so baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, is the filling of oneself to overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. And God had promised this, and Jesus said here in Acts chapter 1, this promise is about to be fulfilled. The kingdom mandate stands on a divine promise. You know, when our nation or any nation sends its military personnel into battle, there is a promise that uh, the nation will provide everything the military personnel need, isn't there? I mean, uh, imagine, and, and I know from the early days of our country when we, we had a militia, you know, people had to provide their own weapons, but things have changed a little bit in 240 some years and so uh, we have a promise we have a guarantee at least in theory right that uh, our nation's uh, military leaders will do their best to provide uh, the equipment the weapons and the other necessary equipment for those people to carry out their ma mandate to carry out their mission uh, and, and so there's a promise that they will be equipped and God himself has promised you and me. He doesn't just send us out and, and say, go be my witnesses and go change the world and good luck. <laughs> you know, uh, I wish you well. Aren't you glad God, God does more than that? He promises, I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you what you need. Uh, when speaking of the gift of the Holy Spirit baptism in his great Pentecost Day sermon, 
In Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter said this, The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, being filled uh, to overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit, is a gift from God available to all believers. It's not a sign of spiritual maturity or something that one earns. It's not something reserved for a chosen few. Oh, these are, these are my super Christians. I'm going to give them the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, these, these average, regular Joes, you know, they don't get it. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? But this group over here, these are the spiritually mature ones. I think I'll supercharge them with the Holy Spirit. These, these are kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of elementary. You know, I, listen, uh, there, there are people who have served God all their lives and never received the gift. There are people who are brand new Christians. I remember there was, a, there was a gentleman, a leader in my church. He had gotten saved, and right after he got saved, he was filled with baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues, and he began to speak in tongues. He didn't know what in the world he was doing. He said, I slapped my mouth and said, baby talk, because <laughs> he didn't understand what was going on. So it's not a, my point is it's not a sign of spiritual maturity. It's not for a chosen few. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is available to each and every believer. When we receive Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us. Every Christian believer has the Holy Spirit within us. But when, we, but when he pours out his Holy Spirit, when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are filled to overflowing. It's a gift available to every believer. And in order for Jesus' disciples to receive this gift, they had to be at the appointed place and wait for the Spirit to be poured out. But that was the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Since the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, we don't have to wait and we don't have to be in a specific physical location. Aren't you glad for that? Well, I've got to try. Where are you going? Well, I've got to fly. I've got to travel to Jerusalem to receive the Holy Spirit. That would be inconvenient at the least, wouldn't it? Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? No, I can't afford a plane ticket. Can you imagine? But the Holy Spirit's been poured out, and we don't have to wait. We don't have to be in a specific place. I've told the story many times about the, the lady was a new Christian in our church, and she was just, we were emphasizing the Holy Spirit. She was desirous to receive, and, and she, she left church and didn't receive it in the service. And on the way home, she's driving home, and she starts speaking in tongues. She was gloriously baptized in the Holy Spirit. She said, I took the long route home. So it's, it's for anybody, in any situation, at any place, at any time. We just have to be willing to receive. We just have to be willing to receive. The promise is for you. Turn to somebody this morning. Just say this. Say, the promise is for you. And say, uh, yeah, and it's for you too. The promise, is for, the promise is for all believers. Have you received this gift, the fullness of the baptism in the Holy Spirit? You can claim God's promise today. Yes, he calls us to be his witnesses, but he equips us. It's based on a promise from Almighty God. And as we've already agreed, you can take God's promises to the bank. Amen? When God says it's for you, that means it's for you. So Pastor Tim, well, isn't it more nuanced? Than, isn't it more, a little more complex than that? No, not really. It would take a preacher or a theologian to make it complicated. The Bible makes it very simple. 
It's, if you're a Christian, it's for you. Period. You don't have to wonder, am I, am I, am I mature enough? Am I special enough? Am I, am I this or am I that? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's for you. This promise, gift of the Holy Spirit, this promise gift is for you. So the kingdom mandate, first of all, stands on a divine promise. What's the second thing we need to understand about the kingdom mandate is that it requires a divine power. It requires a divine power. He said in the beginning of verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, uh, in verses 6 and 7, the disciples asked a question about political power. They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What's that all about? Well, you remember we talked about the mystery of the kingdom? How many remember that? The Old Testament perspective based on Daniel's vision in Daniel 2 was that when Messiah, uh, the, 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 the viewpoint based on that uh, vision was that Messiah would come and he would usher in uh, the, the political, the earthly kingdom of God and all the earthly kingdoms would be uh, abolished and he would come in and set up his, uh, his eternal kingdom. And of course, Jesus didn't do that. We said the mystery of the kingdom was that the Holy Spirit was coming attacking Satan's kingdom. Yes, there'll be a time at the end of the age when God sets up his eternal kingdom and all earthly kingdoms will be abolished, but that time's not yet. In the meantime, the, the kingdom has come and has invaded the present to attack Satan's kingdom and to uh, enter men's hearts. Remember we said that. And so, but, but they still had this Old Testament perspective. Okay, Messiah, you're here. Uh, you've risen from the dead. Now, are, are, are you going to this time restore... Uh, the kingdom to Israel. That was a question about political power. Jesus said, fellas, I want to talk to you about another kind of power. <laughs> I want to talk to you about a different kind of power. He said, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And the Greek word uh, translated into English power is the Greek word dunamis. It means inherent power, ability to perform potency, effectiveness. You're going to receive that kind of power when the Spirit comes on you. And uh, Zechariah 4.6, uh, that, that verse declares that the purposes of God are accomplished by the power of God's Spirit, not by earth, earthly power. Zechariah said, uh, not by might, not by power, but my, by God's Spirit. By my Spirit, says the Lord. Here, Jesus tells them that the power of God's Spirit would, quote, come upon them at Pentecost. Uh, it, it, scripture describes this experience in four different ways. Uh, they would be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 says that. The Spirit would come upon them here in verse 8. Uh, Luke 24, I already mentioned that verse. It said they would be clothed with power. And in Acts 2.4, it says they were filled with the Spirit. The bottom line is this. God would supernaturally endow them for service. He would endow them to fulfill the kingdom mandate. You will receive power. How, how many know that in our natural human ability, we couldn't even hope to fulfill the kingdom mandate? Win this world for Christ? And a lot of times we look at, look at that task and get discouraged because we think in earthly terms. Don't we think in human terms? 
Pastor Tim, it's, boy, it's, it's, it seems like it's never been worse out there. Boy, the hostility to the gospel is, is at an all-time high. And you know what? That's true. That's true. But you know what? That just means that we need divine power. Because the last time I checked, last time I read, you correct me if I'm wrong, but the last time I checked, God is still in control. Amen? He's still God. His power is still absolute. His sovereignty is still absolute. Hallelujah. And when you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit's overflowing and we have His divine power, there is no mandate that can't be accomplished through His power. Someone said that as Christians we can be compared to a reservoir for producing electrical power. Like those you see when you drive uh, to Niagara Falls. When we accept Christ, construction of our reservoir is complete and we have the potential to be useful and to affect lives and we have a measure of the Spirit within us. But what really needs to happen is that reservoir needs to be full. Full to overflowing. And the floodgates are opened and the Holy Spirit just flows through. That's what we need to have happen to our reservoir. See, I don't just want a little touch of the Spirit. I don't just want a little taste of the Spirit. And that's what some, sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we as believers, we're satisfied with that. Lord, man, wait, Lord, wow, we had a great church service today. I, Lord, I, Lord, I felt your spirit. Oh, oh, I was touched. I was moved. You ever, you ever go away from church feeling that way? I hope you do sometimes. And you go out, and what's the difference? What's the impact on the week? Pretty much nothing. You know what, you know, you know what I call that? That's, that's, a, that's a taste of the Holy Spirit. That's a touch. And... You know what you can compare that to? Uh, we, 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 hear, uh, we hear a lot of talk about vaccines. It's almost like a Holy Spirit vaccine. Give me a little, little touch of the Holy Spirit, a little vaccine, a little spiritual inoculation on Sunday morning. Then I just go the rest of it, then I just go on autopilot and I'm cool. I don't want that. Do you want that? Do you want a little taste of the Holy Spirit? Do you just want a little touch? You just want a little feel good experience that lasts for maybe an hour and a half? I want to be flooded, like we sang about this morning. I want to be overwhelmed. I want to be full to overflowing. I want to be so full when I walk out of here, the, the waiter or waitress asks me, hey, what's going on in your life? I see something in your life. Pastor Tim, that doesn't happen. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. That's the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. Let's not, let's, not, let's not let this just be a, a little inoculation this morning, a little vaccination, a little touch of the Holy Spirit. Let's just open up, as, as my wife said, lower that umbrella, say, Holy Spirit, just flood me. Flood me! Pour out your Holy Spirit. God's purposes on the earth are so grand and massive they can only be accomplished through divine power. Our inherent ability, as we said, is never enough. Consider this, if everything we seek to accomplish for God, think about this, if everything we seek to accomplish for God is able to be achieved through nothing more than our hard work and our ability, then what we're trying to do is too small. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't apply hard work and use our ability in the things of God. 
we, we should. We should be willing to, you know, put our nose to the grindstone. We should be willing to work and put out effort. I think the problem is sometimes we don't put out enough effort. We should be. But if you, you understand the point, if, if everything we're trying to do, if we just work hard enough and we just, we just, you know, strain and do our very best, and if we can accomplish it through doing our human best, then what we're trying to do is too small. Because God wants us to do the impossible. Say, so how do we do that, Pastor Tim? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's how we do it. You see, we need to think bigger, church. We need to say, God, do big things through our church. Do big things in my life. Lord, do the impossible. Yes, it looks daunting. Yes, it looks unachievable. But God, with you, all things are possible. Hallelujah. Flood my being with your Holy Spirit till I overflow, that the impossible can be done in your name. Hallelujah. We need the fullness of the Holy Spirit because we need God's power. Because the kingdom mandate is too big for you and for me. But we need, it requires God's power in our lives. Let's not just get a touch of the Holy Spirit this morning. Let's have the, uh, open ourselves to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What's the third uh, thing we need to understand about the kingdom mandate in order to fulfill it, it's this. It instills a divine purpose. It instills a divine purpose. In verse, the latter part of verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. The Greek word for witness is the word martus. It means one who has information or knowledge and can bring it to light or confirm something. In the New Testament, it is used of those who announce the facts of the gospel and tell its tidings. The English word martyr, ever hear the word martyr? Of course you have. The English word martyr comes from this Greek word for witness. And of course, we know that uh, church history is full of those who were martyrs in the modern sense, but also martyrs in the biblical sense. They were witnesses uh, for Almighty God, and they gave their lives because they were His witnesses. He said, you will be my witnesses. And then look at the pattern and the scope of witnessing. Their witness would begin where they were in Jerusalem, and then Jesus said it would expand uh, to Judea, north of there to the region of Samaria and to the ends of the, of the earth. And of course, Jesus' words, as they all do, Jesus' words came true. Uh, what he says here in verse 8 is a virtual outline of the book of Acts. Uh, in chapters 1 through 7, uh, the apostles were witnesses in Jerusalem. In chapters 8 and 9, in Judea and Samaria, and, and chapters 10 through 28, the rest of the book, uh, they brought the gospel to the ends of the earth. Some have likened this pattern uh, to a, the concentric circles created when a pebble is dropped in a body of water. You've seen that, right? Drop a pebble and the circles move outward from the inside. That's the pattern that Jesus established. What does that mean? It means we start in our Jerusalem. You've heard this before. We start where we are. Our family, our loved ones, our co-workers, our acquaintances. And then as God enables us, we branch out. Uh, we, 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 we feed the homeless. We share the gospel at shopping centers. We go on missions trips and take the gospel to the ends of the earth and we help support our missionaries 
who uh, literally travel to the ends of the earth. And so we are part of that effort to be his witnesses in our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When we look at the life of Peter, we see, and you've heard me say this, you've heard other preachers talk about Peter. He had foot and mouth disease, you know. Peter failed. If, if anybody ever feels bad about themselves, uh, you know, and they, how they blow it, all you got to do is look at Peter, right? Old Pete. Boy, he blew it more times than you can count. And we know how he, like the other disciples, he, well, he himself denied Jesus, and like the other disciples, he fled when Jesus was, uh, was uh, arrested and, and, and tried and crucified. He was a coward. Uh, like the, all the others. But what happened on the day of Pentecost? Read about it in chapter 2. The Holy Spirit was poured out. So who gets up to preach in front of this crowd? Good old Pete. Something changed, church. Something happened. This one who ran, who denied even knowing Jesus. As the Spirit was poured out and the people were there from all parts of the kingdom and, and, and they had questions, he stood up and preached a powerful Pentecost Day sermon about Jesus Christ, who he was and who, he, Peter said, you slew, you killed, but God raised him up. And he's the one who's poured out uh, the Holy Spirit uh, here today on this day. And its Bible says 3,000 people came to Jesus Christ all through good old imperfect foot in mouth Peter. Why? Because something changed. Because the power of the Holy Spirit instilled in him a divine purpose. Not only would he say that he knew Jesus, but he would proclaim him and God would bring souls to Christ through him. What happened? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. God calls all believers to be witnesses. In 1 Peter 3.15, uh, the apostle said, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Always be prepared. That means think ahead of time about what you would say to someone who asks you about your faith. You ever get into a conversation, casual conversation about faith, religion, spiritual things with, with people? What do you say? What do you tell them? The Word of God says we should be prepared. We should be full of the Spirit. We should be prepared and able to share our faith with those around us. What does a witness do in court? Does a, does a witness declare guilt or innocence? He doesn't do that, does he? Does he explain all the legal ramifications to the jury? Witness doesn't do that, does he? Witness does one thing. He tells what he knows. That's it. Matter of fact, if, if, a, if, a, if a, an attorney asks a question uh, that might elicit, you know, speculation, you've seen the, the court shows, haven't you? Opposing attorney says, objection, calls for speculation. In other words, the witness can't answer that. Witness doesn't know, or the witness is not an expert, psychological expert, can't answer that question, objection, sustained. Witness, witness, can't, witness can't get out into other... Witness just tells what he knows. That's all we're called to do. That's all we're called to do. Tell people, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Tell people what Jesus did for you. And, and, and let me tell you this. 
God, the, the power of the Holy Spirit will enable you to do that uh, in multiplied measure beyond what you can do without his power. Our good friend Tim Enlow, who, who does the Holy Spirit conferences, he, we had him here a couple times for Holy Spirit conferences. He was here about three years ago. And he tells in, in his book, and uh, by the way, I don't normally do this. I want to put in a plug for this book. I'm, I'm about to finish. Uh, he, he wrote a book entitled uh, Goodbye Chicken, Hello Dove about releasing your fears and allowing the Holy Spirit to come into your life. Can I tell you, I want to recommend that to every one of you to read that book. You can get it on Amazon. It's not that expensive. You can get a digital version for even less. Goodbye Chicken, Hello Dove. Buy that book. Read that book. You say, Pastor Tim, I still, I hear you preach. I still don't understand anything about the Holy Spirit. But read that book. It's an easy read. It's not overly, it's, it's very biblical, very factual, very accurate, but it's not overly technical. Read that book. It will, it will transform your life. And, and he tells in that book about, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit as a young man with the initial physical evidence speaking in other tongues and how God began to use him and, 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 and he would go, he tells about a time going into a convenience store and an elderly gentleman was there and just started pouring out his heart to him, just start telling his life story. And God was able to use Tim to minister to him. And, and, and that's what, that's what it's, it's not about, yes, yes, we believe in speaking in tongues, but it, that's not what it's about. It's about enabling us to be witnesses in our own language, to communicate the gospel to lost people, to be witnesses. And so uh, the, this, this kingdom mandate instills a divine purpose in us. In conclusion, this morning, the kingdom mandate has never been rescinded. It's never been done away with. As I said earlier, it's been passed down from generation to generation. And so today, uh, the mandate that was originally given to the original apostles, it's our mandate, church. We have to come to terms with that. This is our mandate. This is why we are here, not just to feel good on Sunday mornings. It's our mandate. And we need to understand that the kingdom mandate stands on a divine promise. The promise is for you. The promise is for me. The promise is for every believer that God will equip us for what he wants us to do. We need to understand that the kingdom mandate requires a divine power. It's bigger than you and me. It's bigger than our ability. It's bigger than our cleverness. It's bigger than, than our uh, technology. It's bigger than our technique. We, we need his power in our lives. And thirdly, we need to understand that the kingdom mandate instills a divine purpose to be his witnesses, to tell what we know.